Hello and welcome to the latest on LIBOR transition. This is PwC's new podcast series where we talk about what makes LIBOR transition so difficult and complex. I'm your host, Laura Dalvidia, and in each episode I'll be chatting with our PwC experts and external guests on some of the biggest developments and challenges in this space. And more importantly, what those mean to the market in the UK and globally. In this first episode, I'm joined in our virtual studio by two PwC partners, Andrew Gray and Nazim Danesh Sadeh. They lead our LIBOR transition proposition and also help our FS clients on the ground with the move to risk-free rates. So welcome, Andrew and Nas, and thank you for being the first guests on this podcast. Yeah, hi, Laura. Uh, great to be here to talk about LIBOR. Yes, thanks, Laura. Pleasure to be here. Andrew, if I can start with you, I'm sure most of our listeners are already neck deep into a transition. But for the benefit of those who may not be, could you briefly explain what LIBOR transition is and where we are at the moment? Uh, yeah, sure. No problem at all. Um, I mean, as we know, we've known for a long time now that LIBOR will cease to be published at the end of 2021, at least for the majority of currencies and tenors, although there will be some further delay until 2023. Uh, June 2023 for five uh, tenors for US dollar. Um, the, the end of LIBOR has been trailed for many years, as I say. Regulators such as Andrew Bailey, the now governor of the Bank of England, um, has been a frequent commentator on the fact that LIBOR is deficient uh, in terms of reflecting economic reality. It was designed uh, when banks borrowed and lent to each other in, in a very active market. That's no longer the case. Um, and, and ever since the financial crisis, um, it's been a, an imperative in the market to move away from LIBOR. Um, it, I mean, it's really important that uh, this is, is done in a very controlled and, and, and measured way. Um, the vast amounts of money that uh, rely on LIBOR in terms of setting the rate, over $400 trillion uh, of financial products globally. And whilst an awful lot of that is related to the derivatives market, um, it's it's absolutely an issue which impacts many most financial institutions very very significantly, um, and even those that aren't directly linked to LIBOR contracts, um, there will be a much wider impact in the market as a whole. We know an awful lot about the transition, so how do firms move on to to new uh, reference rates? But there are a number of outstanding questions. Um, in in recent months, we've seen a number of really important developments. Um, earlier this year. Um, is the fallback and protocol uh, uh, for the derivatives market became effective um, and, and a significant number of market participants have already signed up to that, uh, although we expect more to do so. Um, also earlier this year, uh, ICE Benchmark Administration uh, issued its consultation on proposed end dates for all 35 of the LIBOR tenor settings. As I've already mentioned, sterling yen, Swiss franc and the euro settings will all cease at the end of this year. Um, five US dollar tenors are expected to continue up until mid 2023. Um, at, at the time of this recording, there's a very significant event in terms of the actual pre-cessation or cessation announcement of LIBOR. Um, we're expecting it any time now. Um, so by the time you listen to this, it may have already occurred. Uh, but, but it will have a really big impact on the market. It will it will fix uh, the is the fallback spread adjustments intended to compensate for the economic difference between LIBOR uh, and replacement rates, and it will really signal to the market that the the end of LIBOR is is really coming towards us quite quickly. 
Um, we also know that the UK FCA has consulted around uh, powers related to tough legacy contracts um, and the uh, and how it will oversee this, the publication of synthetic LIBOR and the circumstances on which it can be used going forward from January 2022. Um, we've also just seen the publication from the Treasury of its consultation um, around uh, how it will supplement the legal framework around safe harbour for irrelevant legacy contracts referencing LIBOR, which would remove the legal litigation risks um, uh, for firms um, and really provide a much more robust basis of, of legacy contracts going forwards. Uh, and we expect a number of consultations uh, as we go through the rest of 2021. Thanks, Andrew. That was a very comprehensive summary of, of the current situation. If we then move from uh, policy milestones to the market itself, what's your level of confidence? Will the market actually be ready in time? I mean, that's a really big question. Um, one, one hopes the answer is absolutely yes. I mean, it's it's been a really big and challenging period over the last 12 months. Um, the pandemic which has significantly impacted ability to operate in a normal way, uh, everybody working remotely, um, as well as other factors such as Brexit and, and other business as usual changes. Um, what's been clear from the regulators, certainly the FCA, is that there will be no delay uh, to, to the cessation of LIBOR. The economic imperatives remain. We have absolutely seen um, the, the FCA, the Treasury, Bank of England continue to, to provide impetus to the market to make this transition. Uh, national working groups, industry bodies have all been very active uh, in supporting their transition. And we do know, um, because of uh, you know, our work with a number of clients, that there is a significant amount of activity going on. It's worthwhile just bearing in mind dates going forward. So you know, at the end of Q1 uh, 2021, really important for the uh, the commitment uh, and expectation from the regulators for the no new issuance of LIBOR-based loans, bonds, securitization, or linear derivatives, as well as their expectations that firms have already completed the identification of all legacy contracts and, and very actively pushing forward for conversion. By the end of Q2 this year, um, significant progress to addressing remediation of legacy LIBOR contracts, um, active conversion or amendment of fallback language, um, as well as the, the final end of LIBOR-based non-linear derivatives. End of Q3, complete remediation work completed in terms of LIBOR-based contracts wherever possible. Um, there will obviously be some, some issues around uh, what's referred to as tough legacy, so those contracts where remediation is not possible. Um, I mentioned earlier about the continued extension of, of LIBOR for certain tenants for the US dollar. The US authorities have also been absolutely clear that they do not expect uh, th those those LIBOR continuation uh, after 2021 to be used in new contracts. It really is for addressing uh, legacy issues that are going to be difficult to migrate. So um, an awful lot of work remains um, for the rest of this calendar year. Um, and we really would encourage everyone to continue to push forward and when they don't feel they've got enough time left, really just accelerate those plans because the deadline um, is fixed. It's not going to move. 
Absolutely. And that's exactly the reason why we'll dive into the topics all sectors should consider at the moment. We've got um, a pretty interesting agenda lined up for the upcoming episodes, including conduct risk, contracts and outreach, system changes, models, tax and accounting, and also specific problems facing the buy side and corporates. But Nas, um, you are working with a number of banking and capital market firms. This sector has received a heavy regulatory push for some years now, and it's it's now leading the marketplace. But I suppose that doesn't mean that they're done yet, does it? So what do you think the challenges are for the sales side? Thanks, Laura. Um, look, I'd like to start by saying large global banks have made real progress on LIBOR transition. They're actively communicating with their clients on the transition. They've adhered to the ISDA protocol, effectively putting a safety net in place for the majority of their derivative trades. And they're pretty well progressed in their systems and operational readiness activities. However, as Andrew said before, the sheer size of the shift here is significant. So there's still a lot to do. But let let me go back to your question around challenges. Um, There are still many, um, both market challenges and internal challenges. So I'm going to name and highlight a few of the big ones. Let me start with, firstly, the U.S. The U.S. SOFA market has had limited SOFA lending to date. SOFA, unlike LIBOR, isn't credit sensitive, so it doesn't rise with banks' costs of funds in times of stress. In sub-segments of the U.S. market, discussions are continuing as to whether a credit-sensitive rate or an add-on to SOFA will emerge. And if it does, such a rate or add-on clearly has benefits for the lending sector, but acceptance by borrowers is yet to be determined there. There's clearly a need to cease US dollar LIBOR lending, um, and it's been indicated by the end of this year. But it's so in that, um, it seems kind of clear that SOFA will need to form the foundation of near-term transition effects. Uh, efforts and that firms may need to prepare for a multi-rate environment as markets evolve in the US. The second challenge I'd raise is LIBOR transition is complex and banks' clients are going to need education to understand the change both to be comfortable with new alternative RFR products and also to transition their existing contracts maturing after cessation timelines onto the alternative rates. What this requires is training and time-consuming bilateral discussions that firms will need to make the time for. At the end of the day, changing a bilateral contract requires both banks and its clients to be ready to make that change. The third challenge I'd raise, Laura, would be the legacy book of existing LIBOR contracts. And the challenge here I'd break down into three. Firstly, sheer volumes. Therefore, banks have to, act, had, have to have acted early or they need to play catch up and they continue to need suffi- sufficient and significant resources to deal with this. The second is they need to understand what fallbacks are in their existing contracts to go back to that Q1 milestones and the adequacy of those fallbacks post cessation. And last but not least, the contracts need to be transferred at minimum transfer value where possible to limit conduct and litigation risk. Now, in our view, to deal with these challenges, you need well thought through pricing strategies and supporting analytics. 
the fourth challenge I'd raise is there is still concern that some contracts will be too difficult to transition. And as Andrew referenced, the FCA has new powers around development of a synthetic LIBOR for tough legacy. However, there's still uncertainty around the FCA's use of its power and scope that will be applied to synthetic LIBOR. Our view here would be to transition what you can without reliance on synthetic LIBOR. And finally, I'll raise um, one internal challenge, which is whilst operationally, as I said earlier, much has been done at banks on system upgrades to deal with compounding rates and new market convention, focus has now shifted to ensuring banks are ready to operationalize the fallbacks that are being put into new contracts. To end on a bit of a positive note, as Andrew referenced above, we expect to hear soon from the FCA that official announcement on the cessation date. And I do think that because that fixes the is the credit spread adjustment, that should accelerate transition. Thanks, Naz. And yeah, definitely. And and you know what? I, I think it's going to be a really exciting date in the in the Lightboard diary this year, this fixing date. And hopefully uh, by the time this episode is out, we've got that announcement. But Nas, your sector is in a tricky place as, as many buy side and corporate clients are still a little bit behind the curve in the transition. So what do you think the sell side firms can do to help this? I mean, it's it's a simple one. I'd say communication, communication, communication for this one, Laura. It's the only way to bring all firms up the curve to have a successful transition. Currently, you do have banks, trade bodies, RFR global working groups, even professional services firms like ours, putting out quite a lot of educational materials on LIBOR. They're coming through webcasts, podcasts, publications, emails, and of course, bilateral meetings. What will really, in my mind, up the ante is using natural interaction points to raise the issue of LIBOR cessation i.e. when loans are at a refinance point or when a client wants to enter into a new LIBOR product. I would just encourage firms that haven't heard from their banks on their LIBOR exposures to reach out to them. Exactly. I, I think it's definitely a team effort to get over the line with this one. My final question will be for both of you. If you had to name one topic only, What keeps you awake at night in relation to light bulb transition? If we start with Andrew, please. Uh, yeah, no, I mean it's it's uh, I mean a huge ask. I think I mean you know my overall observation and partly because of what Nas said earlier is is that there's you know an awful lot of work left to do for many many firms. Many banks have made huge progress. Um, some other firms have equally uh, taken it very seriously and made progress, but there's an awful lot of work to do. Um, It's a big, big ask for this to be completed on time. The shift away from LIBOR is incredibly complex, involving changing commercial terms which represent contracts. Um, and, and the amount of monies involved are huge. Uh, it requires the participation of many organizations who will need to interact with each other uh, and reach agreement. Um, it will impact many areas of a firm and throw out many questions which are not simple to answer or even comfortable to answer for, for economic reasons. Um, it also is, is very pervasive across firms in terms of reaching out to both the front office, you know, people who sell products, people who design products, um, operations, risk management, finance, 
um, it, it's you know across an organisation. So just the, the the level of coordination and, and effort that's still required um, in what is an increasingly short window to complete this work, I think, is a real big challenge. Yeah, for me, it's got to be conduct risk. Um, in this transition, you need to constantly ensure that you're treating your customers fairly. And it needs to be considered in so many parts of a LIBOR transition um, effort. In your communication with clients, um, making sure that they're clear, they're fair, they're not misleading. In the optionality that are provided to clients to meet their needs, it's an absolutely massive issue on li legacy LIBOR transition, ensuring that the contracts transition where possible at minimum transfer value. And it becomes a factor in how firms go about ceasing the issuance of LIBOR products or even where they continue to issue them in the short term, ensuring that they have robust fallbacks. All of those items go to the heart of conduct risk on LIBOR. Thank you both for your insights today. It's been really interesting to talk to you. And Nas, let's pick up your conduct risk point in more detail in the next episode. You've been brilliant guests. And to our listeners, many thanks for your time as well. If you have any questions, please get in touch. You can also sign up to a semi-monthly market update newsletter, which covers the latest developments in a punchy way. And don't forget to subscribe to this podcast for future episodes. But for now, that's all from me. And thank you, everybody.